0: Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of The Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisoloff. I'm editor of The Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and the title of the newsletter was Resilient Resilience, which I think the theme of the newsletter was that the consumer remains resilient. And this, this word of resiliency is one that we've used a lot probably for the last year or more as we've had these recession fears in the economy, but the consumer just keeps on chugging along. And so last week, we had three credit card companies that we looked at, MasterCard, Visa, and American Express, all saying the consumer is in good shape. And this also creates some challenges for the Fed as they fight inflation and they focus on services, play, inflation especially. And so those were the things we captured in the macro section. Eric, any thoughts? I would agree
1: with you on the sen- in the sense of the consumer still strong, which is surprising because you are expecting a bit of softness in terms of the numbers that were coming in. But... All three companies that you looked at in terms of payments—they all saying, "Hey, like Visa was saying, credit, payments volume up 14%, debit up 13%, credit up 14%." So even if you're to factor in inflation of around eight to nine percent, you still have like growth of around six percent without the inflation. So I think it tells you there's a lot of resilience in the consumer and services actually being such a—it's a pain point. I think one of the Dallas fed uh president highlighted that indeed services inflation is going to be one of the sticky points in terms of the inflation generally. So it's Fed Week this week. So I think they have looked at these numbers also. So I, I would be interested to know what they think about some of these numbers that are coming in. They're showing that inflation is not subsiding as much as they wanted it two thoughts.
0: Yeah, I, I think this newsletter was a tough one to edit this week for some reason. And I think... The thing that was really hard for me in figuring out what the narrative of the week was, I think was the credit card companies on the one hand, but then especially 3M really encapsulated on the other hand and Texas Instruments as well, talking about their end markets declining. 3M actually saying that like demand and consumer spending across its categories was weak and down. And so trying to like get those two things aligned, those two different concepts aligned was one that was a little bit difficult for me. And in the past few months, we've talked about maybe this is a a function of demand for goods falling with services still being strong. And maybe that is still part of the story. But I think another thing that I keyed in this week was some of the story may also be inventories declining, which is something that you've talked about a lot, Eric. For the manufacturers, if retailers or distributors are liquidating inventories, the manufacturers are going to see a larger decline in demand than the end market is actually seeing in demand. So maybe you have this layer of goods demand declining, but also inventory contraction, accelerating or being very large. And maybe that's why some of the manufacturers are seeing more extreme recessionary signals than like the credit card companies. And this actually would be a classic recession dynamic. So, and it's a classic recession dynamic that once the inventories are liquidated, then you actually like load this trampoline for a rebound. So if that's one of the dynamics that's happening in the economy, this is a really important one to follow too.
1: It's very interesting the way you put it, because then it would mean that, okay, the demand for goods is slightly down, but consumers are still spending on the goods. So the retailers have had are packed up a lot of inventory for themselves during the pandemic and all this supply chain constraints. Supply chains are okay now. Everything seems to be flowing, but then the retailer needs to get rid of some goods so they can create space so that, they, so that the manufacturers can also produce goods and replenish these retailers' supply of inventory. So I think if that's the case, as you say, then... We may be on the cusp of a recovery and not essentially what you're thinking in terms of a
0: recession. Honestly, we could be. And that is tricky because you have this dual track dynamic on top of it, right? The Fed is very focused on services inflation. This is something that we started to to look at the last PMI in January as well, where the services PMI inflation was so much higher than the manufacturing PMI. But yeah, I mean, that underlying inflation in the services sector, obviously driven by labor markets, which are going to be a lagging indicator for the Fed. And then also is more driven by that inflationary psychology. It's a little stickier than goods inflation. And so the Fed focusing on this means that the Fed may stay hawkish longer than we expected, especially if some of the dynamics recessionary inventory correction dynamics start to start to clear up as well.
1: I could add something there. The SML CEO, because I listened a bit to the earnings call, and one of the things he said is that they expect the second half of this year to be better. One of the things that SML is working on through a lot, this and also I think Blam research talked about it that they have an extremely excess inventory, especially in the chips market. So they're working through that this year. But then even with that kind of inventory that they have, their customers are telling them like, Hey, we're working through this inventory, but by the second half of this year, they actually be, begin to ramp up orders. So they do have a bit of order backlog for the second half of the year. So that's a bit fitting into that theory that we just had, but again, I think it would take us a bit of more time to digest some of these things that we're also thinking through right now. But uh, perhaps something else that I, that caught my eye was the tech layoffs that may actually not be tech layoffs at the end of the day. So uh, like underlying this essentially the idea of the company, the tech companies are laying off people. That a majority of the people they're laying off are actually non-tech people. So it's HR, recruiters, back office, and all. And I would say this has actually been my this was my personal experience at Clarna when they laid off a lot of the people. They didn't lay off the engineering department. The engineering department, which is called the business, was almost intact. The people affected the most were HR recruiters because they don't have visibility in terms of any recruitment ramping up anytime soon. Uh, they, they laid off a lot of people in sales, in marketing, and all. So I think this was a particularly noticeable thing for me. And it's at, at least aligns to what I've seen before, or at least experienced myself. So I don't know what your thoughts are, especially around layoffs. The issue of also hiring and the labor markets generally.
0: Yeah, I think it actually echoes some stuff that was in the miscellaneous nuggets of wisdom section this week Mm -hmm. as well of like managing through a downturn and recognizing that downturns end up rebounding at some point. And if you're cutting like engineering resources, especially, you're starting to cut into muscle, if not deeper, Because the engineering resources are really what allow you to build product that allow you to have growth in the next cycles and beyond. I think within the technology section, the biggest thing that we covered this week and have continued to cover is just AI. Which, again, I think I've probably drank the Kool Aid harder than most people in terms of what impact AI will have on the world. But it does feel like a fundamental change to the technology section of even the transcript. If we look. Like the pre-chat GPT and post-chat GPT world for us, the conversation has moved meaningfully in terms of what we care about or what's impacting technology and the dynamics of that industry. And this week was a, a continuation of that. I think Sam Albin made his appearance in the transcript for the first time. Yeah, any thoughts, sir? Er? For me, what stood out
1: was, I think, listening into the Tesla call. First, I think the second time listening in, and it's good to listen in on Elon Musk. He liked our tweet, by the way, really nice. It should be a follow of the transcript, I hope so. So I think the thing that stood out for me was that, uh, the Tesla itself has an AI um, that is maybe one of the most advanced from what they were speaking about because it's very specialized. It's the other chips. I think they're comparing them to NVIDIA and all. Some of them may, they do a lot of tasks, but Tesla is very focused on just training. And because of that, it may actually be one of the most powerful tools that they have. So it's a bit of one of those things that people talk about Tesla insurance, Tesla doing a lot of other stuff, but I rarely hear about Tesla and AI. And I think this is a good point
0: to note. Yeah, this is a very underappreciated potential catalyst for Tesla, I think. I don't know how good the chips actually are that they're building, but in the editor's notes versions that is available for premium subscribers, I noted that NVIDIA is really the arm dealer for the entire AI industry. It's all of the models of training based on NVIDIA GPUs or GPUs in general. And if somebody comes along with a more powerful weapon or a more powerful chip, in this case, Tesla investing in that, it allows you to be that much more efficient and maybe train that much more robust models for the same amount of capital than your competitors. And this is something that like this potential leapfrog dynamics, even within AI now. So it's interesting to see that's a bet that Tesla is making that it's worth keeping on the radar too.
1: I think one other thing that was a bit surprising was Meta also throwing a bit of shade on chat GPT. It's been a bit, become a bit of a fun thing to do, to just poke holes at chat GPT, then it tells you a lot about the power in which the power and influence chat GPT has in the world. Because I was actually very surprised. I went to LinkedIn and found out that Google, one of the Google senior VPs of cloud was actually poking holes say about the security
0: features. Chat GPT. And I was very surprised by that. It's so incredible to me that companies that were viewed as disruptors even 10 years ago or five years ago are looking at this potentially massively disruptive technology and repeating innovators' dilemma mistakes. Of just, we have too much to lose to compete with this technology. And it's clearly you get to a certain scale and disruption just becomes very difficult, if not impossible, to build it an organization's DNA. Because the things that the meta AI chief was saying. It was like, this is exactly how companies get disrupted by, just, by dismissing competitors, by trying to keep your current territory. Unless you're playing offense, you're going to get disrupted.
1: Right? I was also very surprised by that because I, it means that they are underrating the power in which NVIDIA, but these companies have actually the power in which, sorry, they could do with the, with what it has, the features that it has. But I think something else they noticed at the end there, they say it, uh, that they have a lot to lose by putting out systems that make up stuff like this. So I think, as you're saying, it's the innovators' dialogue. Again, applying to the same companies when disruptors just a little while ago. Any other pickings from, which was a, such a rich newsletter this week? I think there's so much to go through. There's, there's much stuff. But I think I, I would want to close maybe by discussing a bit about energy markets. I think Chevron and this week we have Shell and we have ExxonMobil reporting this week. Last week it was Chevron. What you can see from all these is these companies have a lot of cash right now. What I see from all the energy companies that I've read about so far,
0: they're very bullish about this year, twenty twenty three. Do you share the same bullish? It definitely, we t- this was like two years ago now, I think, when we were coming out of the pandemic that you and I talked about energy companies being an area of markets that were like set up for huge positive surprises. And it, this isn't as extreme as it was back then, but... The world is trying to move to renewable energy and there's so much mind share on renewables and electricity and non-fossil fuels that there's been massive underinvestment probably in oil and gas to the extent that we still need to run the world on fossil fuels. And we do, there's so much incumbent energy use in fossil fuels. And so the supply demand dynamics in that space could stack up in favor of oil companies, especially as we're seeing China potentially come back online here. Of new energy demand pushing energy prices higher, oil companies, again, could be strong performers here.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I think the, the the key thing to watch is the how the reopening in China is going. And of course, from the most of the quotes that we had this week, it looks like especially for luxury companies, they're having such a blast of a time as China reopens and people are really again eager to spend once again because they've been endorsed a bit too much. So lots of things to explore, too little time, but thank you so much for joining us once again this week. This is the big week. A lot of tech companies reporting. We'll be doing live threads on Twitter. You can check us out. So We have a new, a new product, kind of, We're testing out. We do chats every Sunday. So follow us on Twitter and see some of the chats that you're coming up with. And definitely subscribe, share our newsletter, share our podcast. And yeah, keep us, see you again next week for more of this content. Bye for this week.